Well, if you could open your Bibles back up to 2 Timothy. And uh, chapter 2, verse 14, page 1196. As Ashley heads down to City Gates, how is he going to do a work in a way that pleases the Lord? Um, What does a good pastor look like? What are they supposed to do? Well, there are various expectations on pastors these days. You're supposed to be able to drink vast quantities of tea as you supposedly visit everybody's home and listen to all the life news uh, with great compassion and sensitivity. You've got to beat the doctor when there's a medical problem to be at the door. Uh, You need to be a visionary leader, a spiritual CEO who is going to uh, use great business skills to manage a church and a staff team and the volunteer base. You need to be a fundraiser, able to raise great funds for big projects. You need to offer hospitality. You need to be kind of a, um, an Airbnb for visiting Christians in town and a, and, a, and a kind of a diner for all the members of the church in your home. Uh, you need to be a passionate cheerleader for world evangelism and inspiring local evangelism in the church. You've got to conduct funerals and weddings with great warmth and sensitivity. You've got to engage with society in political debates, leading the way in projects of compassion and social change. You've got to be good with children and engaging to disinterested disinterested teenagers. You have to read all emails and respond promptly, uh, including uh, DMs, Facebook Messenger, texts, and WhatsApp messages. You've got to be a skilled counselor to be able to remember uh, how to deal with people's relational breakdowns, their mental health problems, social anxieties, and addictions. You've got to have an incredible memory. You've got to remember everybody's name the first time you meet them, including their spouses, children, and family you've never met. (laughs) You have to preach uplifting, humorous, and engaging sermons that uh, insightfully engage with cultural concerns. Uh, You need to have a model marriage and family life. You need to fill out job references, passport applications, ministry references at the drop of a hat. You need to be a skilled mediator uh, to manage conflict and to resolve interpersonal problems. You need to be the first one who deals with really awkward conversations because when it comes, everyone looks at the pastor. You'll do that, won't you? Uh, You'll have to be the first contact for any struggling person who just happens to walk through the door on a Sunday. Oh, Paul, some complete strangers walked in. Would you deal with this? Okay. And then in your spare time, you need to have a hobby so you're a well-rounded person. (laughs) So... It's quite a lot to to deal with, with all those expectations. So what should a good pastor do according to the Bible? What does God have to say? Well, 2 Timothy 2, verse 14 would be a great place to consider. And in these verses, there is a contrast between a good worker and a bad worker. Timothy is called to be a good worker, approved by God, who correctly handles the word of truth, and not to be a bad worker like Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. And this obviously has great relevance to, uh, to Ashley and also to all pastors and Bible teachers who want to be unashamed workers for God. But, you know, it also has great relevance, relevance for the whole congregation. Um, We're all bombarded every day with words, with ideas, with 
with competing truth claims. And we need to think about the words we use together as Christians when we gather. Will we speak words that are valuable, building others up, or words that ruin and destroy? And so what should a a good worker do? Well, first thing I want to say is that it is a worker. Now, this will surprise people to think that pastoral ministry is work. You know, um, six days a week, you don't know where he is. One day a week, he's incomprehensible. So what, what is it that they, that, they, that they do? I mean, work? I mean, the, the, the Greek word here is used of a, of a laborer working hard, digging up the roads. Now, I, I've dressed like a, a, a BBC News uh, 10 anchor. Uh, but actually, the word worker much more fits what you're wearing, dressed as a lumberjack. Uh, <laughs> You know, the, the solid hard work required of pastoral ministry. Well, let me say two things that is a mark of the good worker. Firstly, they keep reminding God's people of the main things. Verse 14, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. The good worker keeps reminding God's people about the core and central truths of the gospel. You see, Paul has already modeled this to Timothy back in chapter 2, verse 8, where he says to him, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. Do you think you have to remind pastors to remember Jesus Christ? It, apparently you do. Remember Jesus Christ. The good worker is marked by the repeated way his teaching recalls the central place of Jesus Christ and his saving gospel. How the grace of God was given us before time, but was revealed in time through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light, as it says in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. The good worker keeps reminding God's people of these things. Remember Jesus Christ who suffered and died and was raised from the dead so that we may obtain salvation in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The good worker keeps reminding God's people of how we need to respond to the gospel in that trustworthy saying of verses 11 to 13. That if we die to self and self-preservation, then we will live with Jesus with glory. If we endure hardship for the sake of Jesus and his gospel, then we will also reign with him. We need faithful, good workers to keep reminding us to keep the main thing the main thing. Because we are prone to forget this. We are susceptible to getting sidetracked. We have a tendency to be fascinated by those who teach novel, obscure ideas. Teachers who focus on puzzling minor matters that promise secret power to take us to the next level. I've been around uh, the Christian scene long enough now to see different waves of books and teachers who offer up the latest new thing to take Christians to the next level of of spiritual experience and success. Uh, There was power evangelism. There's the Toronto Blessing, there was the Kansas City Prophets, there was the Lakeland Revival. 
There's books that sold in tens of millions around the world. The, the Prayer of Jabez or Jesus Calling or, or the New York bestseller, a time bestseller, Bible Codes that claim to be revealing secret Bible codes in the Hebrew text, which predicted the election of Donald Trump, the fall of the trade towers, and the return of Jesus and the end of the world in 2021. That's going to take a while to percolate. Anyway, the good worker will warn God's people with utmost seriousness before God against being pulled into arguments about fanciful peripheral matters and quarreling about words. For when God's people get stirred up and focused on the unclear and the opaque, it is of no spiritual help. It only harms those who get obsessed with them because you're no longer focused on the main thing. So actually keep reminding the people of God about the main thing, Christ Jesus and his gospel. As our much-loved Bible teaching friend Alistair Begg often says, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. Secondly, the good worker correctly handles the word of truth. Verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. The good Bible pre preacher and teacher will always have in mind the congregation that he is speaking to. And the most important person in the congregation is God. It doesn't matter if there are 10 people or a 1,000, God is present. Jesus Christ says, if two or three are gathered, there I am with them. And so it is God's approval that we should be seeking as we do our best to study and to think and to prepare to speak, knowing that we are called to speak for God to God's people in the presence of God. Now, it is possible to share what someone, we've heard someone say in a way that actually twists and distorts what they actually meant and said. But it's very hard to get away with that when that person's in the room with us because they'll, they'll get upset, they'll call us out, and that would be very shaming. And so correctly handling is what's important. In the original, it's the idea of cutting it straight. We're not free to meander around, to distort the message, to, to swerve from its truth. The Bible is God's breathed out word, it says in 1 Timothy. And as we speak God's word to God's people, we're to do our best to be unashamed workers because we've done our best to understand what God's word is saying and then to correctly communicate the truth of God's word to our hearers. And knowing that God is in the room means we should never play fast and loose with the message of the Bible. And that's true whether we're in teaching in Sunday school, our growth groups, or IF, or preaching to a small congregation or a large one. The good worker will seek to correctly handle the word of truth. It was interesting to me in the 2015, Barna did a survey of people in Scotland about their attitudes to Christianity. There are many fascinating findings, but when they analyzed which churches were growing, the number one characteristic of the growing churches was that they were committed to expository Bible teaching. I find that fascinating. The churches that sought to honor the Word of God by teaching the Scripture in context were the ones who were experiencing spiritual health 
and growth. So Ashley, keep reminding God's people of the main thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ and his gospel, and do your, do your best to present yourself uh, to God as an approved worker. He does not need to be ashamed because you rightly divide the word of truth. And that's going to take time in the study. And that's not wasted time. So get it right and get it across. It is vital for the health of a local church. Because the alternative is destructive and deadly. The bad worker of verses 16 to 18. Look at verse 16. Avoid godless chatter. Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. See, the first mark of the bad worker is that they promote godless chatter. The alternative to preaching the Bible that cuts it straight is a sermon given by a person who claims that they've got a message from God, but they just don't talk much about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't talk about him suffering for sin uh, upon a cross and about the bodily resurrection. The main thing is never the main thing in their teaching. Instead of cutting it straight, their teaching meanders all over the place. And what they teach has nothing to do with the plain meaning of God's inspired word, but sounds more like a, uh, another uh, contribution to the commentariat in the newspapers, talking about the latest obsession in our culture. It's not God's word being taught, but godless chatter, secular wisdom. It's not God's holy truth, it's profane. Now, it's amazing how often uh, applications mean that, they, that, that these sort of preachers take them to a place where they can disregard what the Bible actually says. Uh, progressive teachers promote progressive values, and the Apostle Paul says they become progressively ungodly. It sounds very relevant to talk about the latest buzz issues today rather than the gospel, but the more you indulge in godless chatter then the more and more ungodly his people will become. And progressive Bible teachers will always get a ready audience who would like to hear a message that promises to make their life a little bit easier to fit into the here and now of where our cultural shibboleths are because it removes suffering and hardship. But we need to beware listening to bad workers. Verse 17, their teaching will spread like gangrene. I heard of a poor woman uh, who got a cut in her toe and the infection that developed turned into gangrene. It kept progressing up her foot, up into her leg, so that the only way to save her life was to amputate at the knee. See, when the word progressive is linked with the word infection, it's very serious. And while God's word correctly taught will produce spiritual health, godless chatter will spread like gangrene. So serious is the issue that Paul names names. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. The bad worker starts by promoting godless chatter and then they further drift until they secondly depart from the truth. That's the second mark of the bad worker. They say that the resurrection has already taken place. Um, um, no doubt this is a rich theme of doctorates to try and explain what the false teaching was, but we're not given much more than this. We don't know whether um, 
they were teaching that you know all the blessings of the final day of resurrection are now available to us now. Were they collapsing what God promised in the future for believers to be true of us right now? What theologians call overrealized eschatology. You've done the study. You know the fancy terms now. Um, that all healing has now basically been won in the atonement. So believers, if you have enough faith now, you should never be sick or ill. This is what people will teach. That we should expect to live like kings now. Not servants, but ruling. You know, Not the foot, but the head. There are guys out there teaching this sort of stuff. That we should be increasing in wealth and influence and prosperity. It's a false, gangrenous gospel. Or was it an ancient form of liberalism? that rejected the whole idea of physical resurrection. I mean, some have taught uh, that we should reject the whole notion of uh, physical resurrection. Infamously, the Bishop of Durham Cathedral in the 1980s, the Reverend Dr. David Jenkins, he's got all the titles, but he described uh, resurrection as a conjuring trick with bones. That's how he belittled the notion of the physical resurrection. And what he taught was, well, what's more important is the Jesus in our hearts the spiritual new life we can encounter with God when we follow this inspiring man. Now, we don't know. We don't know what the Hymenaeus and Philetus meant by teaching that the resurrection had already happened, but what is clear, they departed from the truth. The general resurrection uh, day of all people is still ahead. Uh, the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead marks that with certainty, it is the beginning of the end. That day is coming because one has already come out of the grave. And when Jesus returns as judge and savior, all the dead will be raised, the Bible teaches. And we will all have to give an account for our lives, every one of us. And those who've rejected the gospel, who've departed from the truth, will experience eternal punishment in hell, the Bible says. And those who've surrendered their life to Jesus as Savior and King will enter into eternal glory with him in the new creation. And so, of course, we do enjoy some of the blessings of salvation now. But you know what? The greater blessings are yet to come. I'm glad to say that the resurrection day is still ahead. This isn't as good as it gets. Praise God. And until Christ returns as judge and Savior, we will continue to experience suffering and hardship, and disease, and death. But here's the point of, of, of Paul's warning in 2 Timothy. What starts as godless chatter leads to departing from the truth. And so when bishops and church moderators and pastors and preachers seem to spend all their time simply repeating the latest mantras of a progressive society, be aware that that's bad work that we should be warned about. The ones speaking such things should be ashamed at distorting the word of truth. And it is the conceit, of course, of every false teacher that they've left a naive, simplistic gospel and they've matured and progressed to a higher place of spiritual insight. And they begin with sort of basically saying, well, you know, when you do lots and lots of study and you're very, very clever, then, then actually this word that apparently means this means exactly the opposite. Well, that's nonsense. And as the pride increases, they decide to reject more and more of the Bible. That actually they, with their spiritual insight, they can determine uh, what bits are, we should believe and not. When I first came to Edinburgh, um, churches were hosting speakers who styled themselves as uh, leaders of the emergent church, post-evangelicals. 
people like Brian McLaren, who wrote A Generous Orthodoxy, or the American Rob Bell, who wrote Love Wins. Not the Scottish Rob Bell, he's a good gospel man. The American Rob Bell. They were cool, they were edgy, they had cutting-edge video presentations, and they seemed to promise a brand new way for Christians where you could fit more easily into the culture. And in the case of Rob Bell, he grew a very large church, and people liked the slick message. But the truth is, is that as the years have gone by, they've drifted further and further away from orthodoxy. They've departed from the truth. And the tragedy is this, that when people drink deeply of this teaching, then what I've observed in their lives is they seem to have less and less convictions about the truth, and they're not really, they're not really convinced about almost anything. People speak of deconstructing their faith. And if the fruit of your ministry is that you are destroying the faith of some, then what you're doing is wicked. You're playing for the wrong team. And what starts with godless chatter, uh, like gangrenous disease spreads, uh, and those who teach it depart from the truth. And so I want to say to the whole church, let's be careful about the words we spread in our teaching ministries throughout the church. Let's be careful about the books that we promote, what online sermons we recommend, what songs we encourage other people to sing. Now in a moment, um, this service will be over and this room will be full of words. What are we gonna talk about? Now it's okay to talk about rugby. It was a, a great try by Van der Merwe. But, you know, we can talk about rugby other times in the week. Here is a unique time of the week where we can talk together about the word of God that we've just heard and to choose to focus on the gospel and applying it to each other's lives where we can actually talk to each other about what encouraged you this morning or what challenged you this morning and how can I pray for you and taking time to pray for each other. This, we can use words now that will build up and encourage valuable words. Or actually, we can use words that end up ruining and destroying each other. Ashley Gardner, resolve at the start of your ordained ministry not to be a bad worker. Avoid godless chatter. Be a good worker who keeps reminding God's people of Jesus Christ and his gospel. And, he, and in each opportunity that you have to teach and to preach, to do your very best to be an unashamed worker who correctly handles the word of truth. I invite the band to come up. And if you find you're in a season where people are being drawn away towards false teaching, don't join them. But remember verse 19. Be confident of this. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Let's keep praying for this family as they head off. We're going to stand and sing our final song this morning. Oh, great. Thank you.